morning, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Cameron Joss of DeFranco's Training Systems. Cameron is the Director of Sports Performance at DeFranco's Training Systems in East Rutherford in New Jersey. Cam has worked with a multitude of athletes from high school and collegiate sports, as well as professional athletes in the NFL, NHL, USC, and WWE. Cameron earned his bachelor's degree in kinesiology at the University of Rhode Island and has recently just completed his master's degree in exercise science from William Patterson University. On this episode, Cam and I discussed many topics, including Cam's background and his influences, the good and not so good things that Cam sees within the physical preparation profession, ego and coaching, overcoaching our athletes, Cam's training system, a detailed discussion on Cam's microcycle setup, using the upper body as day one in the microcycle for potentiation, Cam's biggest lessons he's learned so far in his career, Cam's top advice to all the listeners, and if Cam could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this was another outstanding episode with Cam, and I hope you really enjoyed. Good. Okay, Cameron Joss, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you come on to the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. Uh, you've been someone I've been looking to get on the show for quite a while now. Um, but just for the listeners, Cam, who might be too familiar with who you are, just fill us in on your on your background. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on, Robbie. Um, just real quick, my background is is nothing too too crazy. Uh, you know, I'm a relatively young coach. I'm only 27 years old. I've uh, been involved with DeFranco's training systems for a while, ever since I was a high school athlete. So I I, I trained then with my current boss, Joe DeFranco. Uh, I was about 17 years old, so that's how I got into the world of sports preparation was firsthand as an athlete and uh, just being a witness to the physical changes that I was able to make uh, working with Joe DeFranco, and uh, he sort of sparked my interest in getting into the field. So when I went to college and I played football uh, at University of Rhode Island, I also studied exercise science, and well, kinesiology specifically. Um, and from there, I went on and graduated and started working with Joe uh, at his facility, which was cool. So throughout uh, my time at the University of Rhode Island, I would come back and I would do uh, internships and, and shadowing with Joe. And uh, it got me to the point where he was he felt comfortable enough to hire me out of college, which was, which was cool. So uh, the whole time I started working for him, I also started my master's degree. Uh, at William Patterson University in New Jersey. So that's uh, a degree that I actually just recently got because it, I was working at the same time going part-time. So I uh, finally have my master's degree, which is a, a huge load off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, just been working with Joe DeFranco ever since uh, 2013. So really just the last four years here, a little over the last four years. Uh, and just been working with a, a myriad of different athletes mostly American football athletes, but, um, you know, it's the cool thing about DeFranco's is that it's, it's sort of developed into a worldwide brand and, um, people from all over are, are kind of interested in, in what's going on. So I, I give all that credit to Joe and, uh, the brand that he was able to build. And now, you know, I want to take everything he's taught me, everything that, that was what he built. And, and now together we're working on just trying to branch it off even further and see, you know, how advanced we can get into the whole sports training preparation process. Yeah, great stuff. And I can completely relate to the Masters. I'm uh, only one year down in my part-time Masters and three left, so uh, I know what you mean by uh, having a load on the shoulders. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it, was, it was probably uh, one of my biggest stressors the last couple of years was just trying to get that done. So. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, obviously, Joe has been a, a massive, massive influence on you as a coach and no doubt as, a, as an individual. Um, but in terms of any other outside influences, Cam, who would you say have been the biggest influences on you, not only professionally, but personally as well? Oh, wow. Well, um, 
there's almost too many to name, you know, when you when you think about it. Uh, being being at DeFranco's was a great privilege for me because we had uh, at the time we had a staff of different coaches, and Joe was kind of at the top, and he, he instilled in all of us that we need to continue to uh, branch out and, and and read into different things, read different books, watch different videos. Um, so uh, I remember, you know, one of our guys that was working with us, Mike Wadango, he he sort of turned me on to some things he was reading and then Joe would turn me on to things that he was reading and then uh, just sort of building up this big network of different things. And basically I, I got all immersed into um, a lot of the different stuff from, you know, Yuri Berkoshansky, Mel Siff with Super Training and then that branched off into reading a lot of stuff by Charlie Francis uh, and, and just all of these different networking uh, books and things that sort of branched off and, and referenced each other. It just built out this big network of, of different different resources and uh, you know people that I've worked with directly. Um, there's just there's there's not a ton of different people that that were around at, at the time of my at the beginning of my career. That was really just where I was. I didn't have the privilege of going out to meet a lot of different coaches. So that's something that I'm trying to do now, which is like you know now that I have the the ability to. When we have our downtime, I can now go and visit with different people and learn more about what they're doing so that I can start getting some different influences from them. But really, it, it all started with just reading all these different books and um, all the different authors and, and, and just going through their reference list, at which point you could then keep branching off and continue to see uh, from all different areas of, of sports preparation, whether it's you know strength training, which you know I dived into a lot of Louis Simmons type stuff, which, and then you have the power training and jump training from Bergeshansky, speed training from Charlie Francis, you know, they, they, there's different realms of guys that sort of specialize in different areas, and uh, that's that's kind of where I took my learning curve, and then from there, I mean, it's gotten to the point now where there's, there's too many names to list with uh, the amount of people that have influenced me in, in my coaching career, but um, I, I don't know if that's the, the right answer you're looking for, but it's uh, basically... <laughs> Um, uh, who would you say personally has been a huge influence on you too? Uh, personally, well, as of late, a, a guy that's had a really big influence on me is, is uh, Sean Mishka. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but if you if you read into his stuff on social media, he's Movement Miyagi. His, that's his his uh, handle name on Twitter. But he and I talk almost every single day. He's he's been a big influence over my my current work, which is uh, starting to understand that. Uh, everything that you do based around the gym and even on the field to a certain degree, uh, you, you have to sort of take it through this different lens of, of understanding that everything is all geared towards what specialized loading that athlete's going to need for his particular sport. So uh, he's really opened my eyes into what it means to truly uh, develop skill acquisition and uh, especially developing skills like agility and uh, reactive ability in terms of how you're able to react to stimuli and, and what that means for, for team sports, which is important for us because uh, we, we work specifically with American football and that's, that's the main sport that he works with. Uh, that's our biggest sport here as well. So um, he's been a big influence o over me uh, recently. And an another guy who I talk to almost every day who's sort of on the younger side, um, his name is Max Schmarzo. And he has the account Strong by Science on social media. And he's another one who, who he's young and he's driven, and uh, he he fuels me every day because he's he's always bringing up questions. And, and you know we have each other's numbers. We're texting back and forth. We've never actually met in person, but he's a guy that he, he brings up all these different areas of, of uh, training and just ideas. And uh, he's he's been a great guy. And and, and also uh, I have to mention Brett Contreras as well. Uh, he's he's started to really turn into a great mentor of mine. Uh, he's he's gone out of his way to reach out to me and uh, sort of give me all the information he's finding with everything he's studying and everything he's, he's looking at with, with training. Um, he's been an awesome resource as well. He's, he's always available to talk about, you know, whatever whatever he knows that he can help me with and whatever I feel like he can help lend a hand on. I, I always reach out to him. He's, he's readily available to talk to as well. Um, and then uh, with some of the speed training that's been going on, I got to give a shout out to uh, JB Marin and 
and Matt Cross because they, they've been huge with helping me understand a lot of the resistance sled training that they're doing, or not even sled per se, but just resistance sprint training. Uh, they, they've been a, a massive resource for me in terms of really understanding what it means for, for developing sprinting um, and helping to push that further along from what traditional textbooks and things will tell you. And along those same lines, I have to give another shout-out to uh, to Ken Clark. He's another one that's been helping me yeah, uh, with yeah. formulating some ideas with uh, some of the sprint training that I've been doing. So those are probably my most immediate influences that I can think of strictly, you know, just right off the top of my head here. It's funny because the likes of Brett, Sean, um, JB, and Ken Clark, them guys are really kind of coming to the forefront. You're seeing them everywhere at the moment. Like, I know Brett's kind of been fairly well-known on social media, but the likes of Sean, JB, and Ken, now that they're... They, like Ken Clark is on like nearly every second podcast there lately for a while. He was everyone was getting him on, but I can definitely relate to Brett. Uh, I was looking up to spend a good bit of time with Brett when I was at Altus in Phoenix, Arizona. Not that Brett works at Altus, but he was in the he was he's in the Phoenix, Arizona area. So I got to call up to his house a few times and got to go to dinner with him and hang out. And he just like he just absolutely his life is just like human performance. He just like he's like I always joke that he's like. The, the the he's a young male Sif like you know so his garage is just yeah. like a, a mini laboratory it's great but uh, yeah I can definitely relate to to Brett I see Brett as as a, as a mentor to me as well in many ways and uh, Sean's definitely someone I, I want to reach out to too I, I got to know him through kind of Stu and uh, yeah he seems to be very clued in the skill acquisition stuff so that's definitely a, a guy I'm going to look into as well so it's great that, that that's why I always love asking that question to everyone because you'll always kind of come across people even if it's names you already know it kind of just sort of refreshes your memory to contact these people or you might pick up a new name or someone a resource you didn't realize so it's great to hear that yeah that's great uh, you know i gotta definitely uh with what you just said you, i have to name all the guys at Altus as well Stu and dan Papp and all those guys huge influence over uh some of the things that i've been thinking about recently as well so you know they they i think all those guys have uh one common denominator amongst all of them which is that they sort of just they just do what they feel is right and they document it and they throw it out there for the world to see and they just don't really care you know what people think about it they're just you know, they're just gonna do what they're gonna do and, and, and they just say this is just what I found uh, you know you can say what you want against what I found but this is still what I found and um, you know I'm gonna continue to look for things that I want to see and I'm gonna continue to explore and uh, I don't, you know, I don't really care if there's a, there's naysayers right there that say that uh, what I'm doing is wrong because I know that I'm getting results. So I think it's cool that they have that mentality and that's uh, the same mentality that I've started to try to develop for myself. And I think it's gonna it's gonna help me a lot in the long run. Great stuff. So a question I always ask all the guests too, Cam, is um, in terms of the physical preparation profession, what are the really good things that you're currently seeing? that sort of, you know, brings sort of joy to the fact that you're within this profession, that you're proud to be a physical preparation coach. And then at the other end of that spectrum, what are the not-so-good things that you're seeing? And with the not-so-good things, what are some solutions you may offer up? So basically, I'm asking what's the good, bad, and the ugly that you see in our, in our profession. So what are you proud about in our profession? And then what are you not so proud about? And with the, with the not-so-proud about, how, how would you go around, uh, go about um, with some solutions for that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I guess the first thing, considering the fact that we work specifically with American football, um, you know, if you get on the topic of discussing American football, and it's sort of the same, the same idea with really any sport, but uh, just the old school mentality, you know, as they refer to it with with American football, is just it's run rampant throughout the sport, especially in the strength conditioning industry or physical prep, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so. I think that there's the things that make me proud about being in the field are the guys that uh, are thinking along the same lines of what I just said before. Um, you know, with the mentality that all those those guys I mentioned previously have, where they are doing the work to ensure that they're able to take care of the players that they're associated with. And I think that that's something that that really, you know, they they see it as more like this is my job and my responsibility to these players. And it's not so much about how I look in the limelight. And it's funny how they say some of the best coaches out there are guys you've never heard of because they're too busy working. You know, they're not they're not so caught up in the limelight that they're forgetting about the fact that they have a job to do. 
So uh, there's so just to name a couple guys that have, you know that are involved with teams that are uh, definitely a big influence over me in terms of what I see as positive for the field and guys that that you know if I end up back in the team setting that I'd like to model my my approach towards is is obviously uh, Buddy Morris with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, he's a guy that I've always loved his work. I've always been very familiar with his work because it's it's a very similar mindset that I take, um, at least uh, from my own perception. And uh, I recently met and spoke with uh, Aaron Wellman of the New York Giants because he's right right across the street, really, from right across the highway, I should say, from where our facility is currently located. And, you know, talking to him, I actually got chills when I was speaking to him because I was like, wow, this guy is very similar to the mentality that we have at the Franco's. Um, and he he really cares about his players and really cares about uh, the time he has available to them and how to de- how he can develop them and, and help uh, you know protect them against possible injury and and uh, everything associated with what the coach should be doing. And then uh, I also got to say Scott Saulwasser, who uh, is down at Texas Tech. He's another guy that I talk to almost every day. Um, and. and He's in the collegiate sector, but he's doing a really, really great job with those kids down there. Uh, and, and, you know, guys that have that same approach, they're, they're making me proud to be in this field because they're, they're seeing their job as their responsibility is to make sure these players are developed properly and they're protected as, as best as they possibly can against potential uh, career-ending injuries when you think about it. Uh, and, and if they're in the collegiate sector, being able to send them off into the NFL sort of as unscathed as they possibly can. And when they're in the NFL, can they play for longer than, you know, three, four or five years? Can they have a 10 year career? And, and I think that's what, uh, those type of guys are, are focusing on is that it's not really, how do I look right now in the limelight? It's more about how can we, how can we get these guys to, to have longevity? So that sort of leads me into the side of the field that, that drives me nuts, which is uh, the guys that are so obsessed with the limelight that they forget about the job they have to do at hand. And, um, you know, there, there's guys that will, they start attacking certain people for doing certain things because they like to spread fear mongering and all that. And, uh, you know, I've, I've basically gotten to the point now where uh, I, I post on social media as basically a, digital journal for myself and for anybody who's interested in what I'm doing. And that's about it. I, I, I used to go on there and surf the web a little bit and, and see what everybody was doing and try to figure out who's saying what, who's talking to who. And it's gotten to the point where I, I don't have time for that because a lot of the conversations are, are not the right conversations in my mind. That Nobody's really, they're not discussing ways to improve. It's more of just I'm going to wait until you're done telling me what you do so I can tell you what I do and then tell you that you're wrong, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, there's no discussions that are being built. And, and Max Schmarz, who I mentioned before, that's, we talk about that all the time. If more coaches would spend time just discussing, just talking about why they do things and actually listening to each other instead of just saying, like, oh, that's great, that's what you do, well, here's what I do, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, they don't – guys, like, I always say all the time, if people ask me exactly what I do with my athletes, I'll tell you exactly what I do. Because chances are, I'm not afraid of you stealing anything because chances are you're not going to steal what I do anyway. Even if I told you verbatim what I do, because egos are so big in the field that people are just going to do whatever they want to do anyway. So it's almost like, well, why are you even asking me what I do if you're not interested in starting a discussion or trying to learn anything? So um, that's that's a big issue in my mind in the field is that guys don't discuss anything amongst each other. And that's where podcasts like this are important where we can start the discussion and hopefully people listen to podcasts, you know, and they can hear people talk about their different experiences and they can all sort of collectively formulate into something very positive in the field. And uh, we can take everything away from the old school, you know, just let's beat them up to see what they can handle into let's, let's take them and train them the way that they need to be trained in order to get, to the point that we need them to be, which is to achieve the highest degree of sport form that they can and the highest degree of sports performance. So, you know, I heard, I think it was Fergus Connolly on a podcast uh, talking about how he's so far removed from things like 
physiology and the training and all that and in terms of like his, his immediate mindset it's more so on are we are we performing well when it's game day you know so it's funny how that's that's really what it all comes down to if you guys squat a lot more bench a lot more whatever uh are they getting better on the field and that's that's where the discussions will lead it's like well you know if we we do some of these things then maybe we have a better chance of doing well on the field and i think that that all starts with discussion yeah, it's funny you bring that up because ego has been a big topic. I've been having a lot of discussions with other fellow coaches and peers within the field. And, um, like, I suppose, and even Ryan Holiday's book came out, Ego is the Enemy. And I suppose ego is just, it's a it's a form of certainty within our lives in that, like, I mean, the biggest question that we all have is, like, fuck, what actually happens after we die? And we all don't know. So I think what a lot of us do with our human condition is, we try to hang on to belief systems, be them religious or political, or in our case, training belief systems, and those systems become part of our ego and identity, and we do anything to defend those identities. So if someone attacks that, we become, you know, very, um, very uh, defensive in our in our beliefs, and that leads to a lot of the the arguments that 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 really just aren't even worth the breath of air. That, that you see an awful lot online um, and uh, it's funny that you mentioned Fergus there because even Jeff Meyer, you often hear Jeff Meyer who would be a, a pupil I suppose of Dr. Yes's but any of those top guys would always say like it doesn't matter a shite what they're doing in the weight room like are they getting better at their sport and so I can completely understand where, where Fergus is uh, is coming from and that end of things and one really great thing I heard from Kieran on Platt, the guy who's a rugby strength coach, Kier's a great guy Another guy, yeah. another guy who would have been very influenced by uh, sort of uh, Natalie Berkashansky and the, the, you know, the Central Virginia Sports Performance Seminar crew like J.D. Mayapotan and Dr. Yeses as well. But one of the best things I heard Kara say was sometimes the best thing the strength and conditioning coach can do is like just to like fuck off <laughs> and like not yeah. and, and not, <laughs> not, not not like get in the way. Because again, it comes back to this ego thing again that for a, some, some of the strength and conditioning coaches to feel that they have some self-worth within their lives, uh, they need to feel that they have a certain role and responsibility within the team and organization that they're in. So then they feel that they need or have to have their say or do a piece or get their little bit of work in with their athletes to prove that, yeah, this is, this, this is my realm of expertise. How dare you question me? These are my systems. I'm going to train these players so this is what I'm here for. When sometimes the best thing they can do is just like deload the athlete, step away, let the athlete play their sport now. So uh, I can completely relate to this idea of too much ego in our field. And that's why I think studying human psychology and behavior and development is, is fundamental to being a well rounded uh, physical preparation coach, transition coach, rehabilitationist, whatever sort of title you have within this sort of profession that we're in. Um, and it's something I spoke with with Dr. Liam Hennessy. He's the, the academic coordinator of Satanta College here in Ireland. Um, and they're one of the few colleges that actually have degrees in strength and conditioning. But he spoke about, um, Liam spoke about the importance of pedagogy. And I asked the question, do you think pedagogy is something that just is kind of skimmed over in coaching education courses? And he said, yes, it, it needs a far, far um, bigger say in coaching education courses. Because all our courses are so heavy on the science, like the physiology, the nutrition, the biomechanics, etc., etc. We get coaching pedagogy because it's a quote-unquote softer science kind of gets pushed to the side, and it's never really embraced by coaches. So I definitely think pedagogy is something that definitely needs to be embraced a lot more going forward in the education of professionals in our field. And I know Dan Pfaff talks about it all the time. So anyway, I'm rambling on there, and you're the guest, so that's my bit done. But uh, it was really great to hear you bring up that same point because it's something that I've been meditating on myself for the previous few months. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to, for me, it came down to really a quote that I saw from Socrates, which was, I know that I'm intelligent because I know that I know nothing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a great quote because it really just tells you that as much as you start to learn, it, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't give you answers. It just gives you more questions. So yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's actually something, uh, I saw, again, I think it was Fergus that, that tweeted something like that about how, the more you learn, the more questions are raised. And I, I kind of, uh, I likened it to uh, sort of the hydra, you know, from Greek mythology where you cut off one head and two more grow. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it's 
something that, you know, going along with what Kier said, uh, who I think is brilliant. You know, I, I love that guy. He's, I think he's got a lot of, a lot of stuff figured out in terms of a management process, um, and training as well. He's just a really, really intelligent guy. And, um, yeah, I, I find that like the more I learn, it's almost, uh, the less I do and the less I say, you know, when I'm coaching and it's just like you said, the pedagogy process, that's something I've spoken to a lot with Sean Mishka and he's, he's big into studying the nonlinear pedagogy uh, of skill acquisition. And he got me into reading the book, which is literally entitled uh, nonlinear pedagogy and skill acquisition. Yeah. I have it. I have it and, myself. Uh, it was actually Maladin told me about that book. Yeah. No, it's, it's a really interesting book because it starts to tell you, some of the, it challenges a lot of the traditional mindset of, of what it means to be a coach, and uh, it, it basically paints a picture that you need to you have to try to put guys into situations where they can uh, learn and, tr- and try to self organize. Uh, you know, it's not to say that you're not going to coach them. It's not to say that you're never going to speak because you can start giving them a little nudge in the right direction here and there. But uh, at, the, at the end of the day, you can't you can't handhold it. You can't hand hold a guy through the process because once once you're not next to him, what's he gonna do? You know, like if you're giving him a cue on every single thing, I mean like as soon as you know, if you're training a guy for an NFL combine or an NFL pro day and the whole time you're cueing him on everything to do with his forty yard dash and then he goes to Indianapolis and he goes to do his forty yard dash and you're at home watching or you're up in the stands or wherever How's he going to perform without you? You know, so I, I, that's that's the way I sort of see it. Is I, I need to make sure that these guys can do it when I'm not around. I need to give them something that they can take home with them. So a lot of that starts with with not talking as much. You know, just trying to trying to say less and uh, getting them to rely on on trying to find the answers within themselves instead of always asking you for the answer. You know, some guys will go to do say they do a sprint or something, and then they come back and they're like, "How'd that look?" And I'm like, it was your first sprint of the day. I mean, like, just relax. Like, just start feeling it, you know? See what happens as you do rep two, rep three, or whatever. Like, just don't don't ask me to coach you on every single rep. Just try to figure out, you know, start feeling it first, and then we'll start working on giving you the proper cueing if necessary. So a lot of guys figure a lot of stuff out by themselves. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty interesting process once you start to accept that. And you just say to yourself, that rep didn't look that great. Let me give him one more and see if he can figure it out himself. And a lot of times they'll do it. And that's something that uh, I'm starting to find, which I think is pretty cool. So I, I'm at the point now where basically I step in when when something's dangerous or if they're just not getting it. You know, that's where we need to step in and just say, hey, you know, here's here's a couple cues to help you fix that. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... It is it is funny and ironic because that's exactly where I'm at now currently in my own coaching, and um, I suppose maybe you can relate to this too. That probably in our early days, if, if you saw a video of us coaching, we were just like completely bombarding the person in front of us with just like verbal diarrhea, and it's oh uh, my god yeah yeah and it, it's funny because uh, this is like uh, I'm a very fucking honest and straightforward guy, but just yesterday I, I got let go of a. A position in a in a personal training studio that I, I had just started co- coaching, in. and one of the reasons they said was that I wasn't interactive enough with the clients because I was very quiet when I coached, and and like I felt like giving them this this whole spiel that that's not how people learn though. <laughs> like I, yeah. I I'm a quiet coach on purpose. I mean, you go see any top coach in the world, coach they say nothing. You watch a Stu McMillan or a Dan Faf, they hardly open their mouth out on the track, and I really I, I don't know if you've been down to Altus, but. Uh, if you haven't, I really think that you would love to spend a few days there um, observing those guys because, I mean, I was there for three months and just be able to, to be on that track with Stu every day, you know. I suppose at the time, like, because it's like every day for a 10-week period, you start to take it for granted. But when you look back, you're like, holy shit, like there were some magical things that went on there. And he, uh, he he's a special guy, Stu. You know, Dan wasn't there as much. But like getting to, to to be on Stu's shoulder for those few weeks was was amazing. I'm just uh, you know again any of the top masters in their fields, particularly in coaching, like it's just like they say such such like they don't say a lot, but what they do say it's very profound. And you know I really felt like saying that to the coach that was that that was that was uh, talking to me yesterday, but it was it was it was just wasn't the the right time I suppose. But uh, yeah, like I completely I completely get you there on that definitely. 
Yeah, I haven't been down there. I've been. I've, it's that's one of my trips that I've been meaning to do. And uh, yeah, like I, I've never been to the Central Central Virginia Sports Performance Seminar either. That's something I need to do. Um, but I'll, I'll right tell there. you what. I'll tell you what. Let's let's let, let's make a little pact if we can, because I haven't been to to the Central Virginia either. But I think next year now that that's gonna be that's gonna be the one I'm gonna go to, and I might make a little trip where I go, because I've always wanna go to Washington D.C. So I might make a little trip of it. But uh, so I think I'll, I'll save up a little money and see if I can get over now next year and make a little trip with, if see, see if you can get some time off and we might be able to meet each other and it'd be great. That's that's that sounds good to me. That, that's that's more incentive for me to get down there and uh, you know and then <laughs> the next trip is I gotta get out to Arizona and uh, go visit all this as well. It's, I, everybody and their mother has been telling me I need to get out there. So um, yeah, I, I, those those are two things that I absolutely have to. Uh, have to get out to big time, for big sure. time, yeah. And just something that you touched on there, look, going back to this idea that the more we learn, the less we know. I have a very good friend of mine, Stephen Bennett, who's a strength conditioning coach here in Ireland, and he said he said probably one of the best things, like one of the best things I've ever heard, and, and I've always put it into presentations, and I always say it verbatim too, is that I know enough to know that I know fuck all. And I remember they said that to me, and I said that's just, <laughs> I said that's genius. That is a quote. I know enough to know that I know fuck all. I just thought it was brilliant. It was, you know, and, and you, you have to put the fuck in there to make that extra bit of Irish, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, it would probably sound a little more brutal if I said it with my American accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> so, Cam, listen, um, I know we're both tight in time here because you got guys coming in in twenty-five minutes or so. So I want to get as much information out of you as I can. But uh, question, yeah. a question I really like to ask you is, you know, so we know Joe's been a huge influence, but I'm still going to ask this question because no doubt you're going to have. Uh, your own little, your own top process in this, you know, kind of running the on a the, the on a the Franco gym down there in Texas and stuff, and obviously you're you're developing your own sort of philosophy and principles. But basic question is, so to you, uh, Cam, what is your training philosophy or what are the training principles that you abide by? What are your big rocks? So if you had to sit down now and write, you know, your manual script, your your manu- manuscript on strength and conditioning or physical preparation, whatever title you want to give it, what what would be in that manuscript? Uh, yeah, great question. Uh, I, I think just real quick, as I heard you kind of mention it, uh, we're just so everybody knows we're not in Austin, Texas anymore. That oh. gym doesn't exist. <laughs> uh, we we're back in New Jersey now. We're in East Rutherford. So oh wow, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. The DeFranco's at Onnit Academy doesn't exist anymore. They, there's no bad blood. It was just uh, something that uh, just it was a project that that didn't work out for both sides so okay. it's just something that we have different interests and so we came back to new jersey and they renamed it to audit academy gym i believe so uh okay, okay. yeah we're, we're back in new jersey now we're just a standalone brand again and uh, has that uh, sorry was, is, is that long ago now because or like did that happen a long time ago or just recently uh about a year ago last november was when i moved back here so oh, okay. Um, okay yeah so that's i just want to make sure that you know we, we always People still don't fully know, so I'm just putting it out there wherever, whatever platform I have. So yeah, no, that's uh, right. I, I knew you're still with on it though, on a, on a degree, are you? Uh, you know, we're we stay in touch, but uh, we're not directly involved with them from a business standpoint anymore. Okay, okay, that's okay. No, it's good, good to know, and that's a good preference. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, getting on to what you were saying about the training philosophy, uh, I, I've sort of adopted. Um, Basically, a, like a combination of, of what Louis Simmons preaches and what Charlie Francis would preach in terms of uh, trying to attack a lot of the different qualities that we need, or really all the qualities that we need at all, at all times during the year, but really just rotating the emphasis of what we're what we're looking at. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when guys are coming off season, the first thing is just getting them back into doing something. You know, after having this extended season of, of all specialized work with uh, being, you know, in their sport, and now they have the chance, I guess I'm talking specifically about American football because it's our biggest sport, but, you know, once they come back and, and we get we get them in here for a couple weeks of just trying to work on, like, super basic, you know, GPP, where a lot of the stuff is really just, um, we're doing some real general aerobic type intervals, and, and I'd like to get them off their feet during that, that time as well, so if we're doing aerobic work, I'd like to put them on you know, a bike or uh, just doing something with, with very low impact where they're, they're not really running, per se, on the ground. Um, and then, the, you know, we're, we're not even really doing too much uh, volume of, of spreading or anything like that. It's more just trying to get them back in the groove of training again 
uh, without having to play their sports. That's a short short time period for these guys, because they're usually able to bounce back pretty quick. Um, but then really it just comes into, we're going to start by trying to emphasize building up some strength work again. And even though we're emphasizing strength in that early off-season period, we're still working on our speed and our power. So, you know, we're working on uh, sprinting pretty much the entire year. That's something that, that I keep in there all the time because um, I believe it was something I read in uh, a, a book by Vladimir Isterin where I don't know how true it is or what type of support uh, is behind it, but it, it mentioned something about how you can start to lose your speed qualities in as little as four to ten days. So um, in, in my head, I just said, okay, well, you know, and Charlie Francis is preaching all the time as well. And, you know, we just got to we gotta keep sprinting. And that's really the only way to get more volume to sprint work in and have a better chance of possibly getting faster and uh, just getting better at, at locomotion in general. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of phase things in and out. So what we'll do is uh, we're focusing on strength as a base. And, and at the same time, like I said, we're doing our power and our, we're doing jump work. We're doing uh, sprint work and things like that early on. But if they're just in lower volumes and compared to strength training and, and trying to, to improve our force producing capabilities. And, uh, you know, I'm not married to any one set of exercises. I like to use everything. So that's a common theme amongst uh, my entire training programming is really just variety. And that's something that I I first read about, you know, with, with Louis Simmons and how his whole, you know, to adapt is not to adapt and just trying to cycle things in and out. Um, for me, I, I love it because it, it keeps things really fun and creative and I can just, I can switch exercises here and there and, and guys like it too. They come in, they feel more engaged with it. Um, you know, it's also something that, that goes into some of the things in the nonlinear pedagogy book as well. Uh, just that how variation can, can help develop skill acquisition because now you're, you know, if you have somebody that's trying to learn how to squat with a barbell on their back and they can't figure it out, well, sometimes you put the barbell in front of them, now they can figure out a squat pattern. Or if you give them a safety bar, they can figure out a squat pattern with a safety bar. It's just, all you have to do is tweak something just a little bit about the exercise. Maybe you add some bands, maybe you add some chains or something like that. And now it's just, can I master this squat pattern, just using that as an example, in the face of all these different, slightly different environments, you know? So something I do uh, all throughout the course of of the year is really just, uh, I switch all of my exercises to some degree every two weeks. So the first week we're introducing this new set of exercises. The athletes kind of get used to them. They set certain records on certain things, you know, because we're constantly measuring what we do as well. So we'll, we'll always get a number for the strength work. We try to get some number for the jumping or the throwing, whatever our power work is. Uh, and then we're trying to get a number on sprint training as well, whether it's from you know, a push-up start, a three-point start, two-point start, whatever it is, we're trying to get numbers on these different things so they have records to try to to try to try beat. Um, so, yeah, every two weeks we'll change a little bit of what's going on with the exercise. And it could be real subtle, like I said. Maybe the first two weeks we're sprinting from a three-point stance and the following two weeks we're sprinting from a push-up start or something like that. So um, it's not like a drastic change in what we're doing. The exercises have some similarity, but there's just a little bit of something that changes about them every two weeks. And um, so a lot of variation involved, and, you know, we kind of just progress from we're emphasizing, you know, that basic GPP, and then we emphasize strength and force production and just trying to get guys real strong and real uh, resilient, durable, whatever word you want to use. Then we progress on to uh, trying to get them to develop that sort of that pure explosive power and that explosive strength where, you know, what can they do in one single effort of explosion? You know, when explosive throw for distance, doing a vertical jump for height, uh, you know, that, that becomes the main emphasis is just from this one standstill explosive effort. Then we sort of progress more into emphasizing, uh, I guess you could say, more more reactive power type stuff where um, when they have to do multiple jumps in a row, when they have to do depth jumps or something like that, like what do they do in the face of that pre-stretch that's involved? Uh, can they continue to expand their power over the course of multiple jumps? Uh, and then from there, our emphasis will eventually shift into now it's like speed. You know, speed is the most important thing here now. So our sprint volume goes through the roof and uh, our weight volume starts to take a back seat. And uh, so 
everything, like I said before, everything's involved. We're still sprinting, we're still jumping, we're still throwing, we're still lifting, we're still doing aerobic work, we're still doing all these different things, but it's just all about what's most important within the certain phase we are in the year. And um, I sort of peak, I, I call it peaking, whatever you want to call it, I sort of capitalized guys towards the end on uh, power capacity. And now that we've tried to push the ceiling of the power output in terms of their their highest levels of strength, highest levels of explosive power, reactive ability, speed. Now can they maintain all that over some sort of sustained period? So that's where we start focusing more on capacity before they start heading into their training camps and things like that. Do they have the ability to sustain the power that they can now utilize? Uh, so that's sort of like a broad just template of what we do. And then at the same time, as the year goes on, I'll start progressing from uh, more generalized movements into more specialized movements. So somewhere along the off-season, we'll start introducing multi-directional work and, and things like that on the field. So, you know, it could be something as simple as if we were doing a push-up start just linear, and now we're going to do a push-up start facing laterally to the line. So get up and try to find a hip turn and then take off. Um, you know, face face backwards from the line in a push-up start. Push-up, do sort of a drop step, more of a drop step, and turn around 180 degrees and then sprint for the designated distance. You know, when, once you start adding in that multi-directional component, now you have endless possibilities for drills you can do. And then what we do at the same time is we're also going to try to progress from more closed drills into more open drills where guys are reacting to each other. And when I make this progression, a lot of the times, what I do is is we we follow a high low sequencing methodology similar to what Charlie Francis made popular and uh, a lot of people are doing that now. You know, putting your low CNS stressors on the low days and the high CNS stressors on the high day. So what I'll do is I'll introduce uh, if I know I want to branch further into um, a more specialized high CNS intensity element, so let's say like a change of direction element that, invo that involves full speed spreading as well, like I mentioned before, starting to the side, starting to the rear, things like that. I'll actually introduce that sort of element into my aerobic work. So that's, that's something I've started playing around with is, um, you know, maybe we start with linear tempo runs, but now it's start to the side, turn and run for X amount of distance or face backwards or side shuffle for X amount of yards, and then turn and run for X amount of yards, things like that. So we start introducing um, those different elements extensively first at lower intensity. So guys can be more conscious of it. They can feel it. They can do more reps of it because it's not at full speed, hence why we can use it on aerobic days. Um, and the same thing goes for even the, the open reactive stuff as well. So a lot of the stuff I played around with this offseason with um, – our, our NFL free agents and some of our NFL guys that are that are on teams was adding a reactive element to their uh, extensive work and um, on the low days as well. So some might argue that it's going to be a little bit higher CNS intensity because they're reacting to something, but because the movement speeds are so much slower, like it's just trying to get them to understand what they're looking at, why they react a certain way to a certain visual stimulus that they see, you know, uh, and then you know, for, say, like a ball carrier in rugby or football or whatever, if he sees the defender give him a lane from which to cut around, then he needs to understand how to visually process that and see it and then make it happen. So if you give it to him at slower speeds, done in more extensive fashion, now he's mentally starting to pick up on what he needs to look at. So once we speed it up, it's a little bit smoother. So um, that's kind of another, you know, that's another... Uh, broad theme about what I do with the programming is uh, trying to introduce some of the more advanced processes in terms of that that uh, you know from closed to open skill acquisition and different uh, scenarios uh, from more general to more specific movement patterns. I try to introduce them at lower intensity of movement, more in extensive fashion first, mm -hmm. and then we'll start throwing them into our high intensity days um, as well. So uh, just um, once you throw them into the high intensity days, now it becomes about react to this guy, sprint as fast as you can to a given destination. And um, for football guys, it's easy. It's, you just got to get to the end zone. 
you know, you either get to the end zone or you get caught or whatever. So um, that's where you can start using games and things like that into your agility training as well, which is all stuff that I, I learned from talking to Sean. So he's really helped out a lot with that. Uh, but yeah, that's really what it comes down to. It's nothing crazy. It's nothing bizarre or, or too different. It's just, you know, you, you follow uh, a basic progression that you would learn in, in any sort of, dare I say it, periodization scheme where you go from strength up to speed up to maintaining all of that. But uh, it's, it's certainly not linear periodization at all. It's just um, our focus is is just from we try to build a base of strength and then a base of power, and then we try to translate that to speed, and, uh, and then we go on and see if we can maintain that in the face of uh, shorter rest times and things like that. So, um, And then at the same time, everything's going from very general movement patterns into more specific motions. And then obviously, the more the more advanced the athlete, the earlier the onset of those specific motions comes into play. So that's, that's kind of a broad overview of, of our approach to everything. No, it's really great because I have one or, one or two things I just want to add and I have a question or two there too. So uh, Al Vermeil has been a huge influence on, on how I program and it sounds very, very similar, if not almost identical to how you program because Al basically took Charlie's model and, and integrated to more of a team sport perspective. So like I utilize high-low model as well and I remember you know studying Al's programs initially and I meant all his sort of programming was towards linear speed. And I remember saying, you know, where do you put in your uh, multi-directional stuff and agility? And he said that you can put those in on the low days, similar to what you're saying, because, again, their outputs aren't quite as high and it's a little more slower. And he felt that it was okay to put it in those days. Once again, volumes were, were managed. And I've heard Buddy Moore say, too, that you can still have a high CNS input in those low days as long as the volume is very, very low, too. So you can do that as well. And just a question, too. I know Joe used to, like, follow a very modified west side, west side template where it was two upper, two lower, and, you know, two heavier days or max days and two dynamic days. Um, with that high-low system, are you still going with a four-day, or are you kind of gone more towards a, a three-day model, like the classic Charlie model, like that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then kind of Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday low? Or have you guys kind of put that into more of a four-day model? Yeah, we, we still use a four-day model, so it's, it's really similar to what Joe's always done. Uh, you know, so Monday and Thursday, we consider those days extensive days slash upper body days. So, uh, because, you know, the upper body is not going to use as much total motor units as yeah. the lower body, so that's why we're throwing our upper body lifting days on the same days as our aerobic work yeah. or, you know, some of our extensive agility work that I described before. So that's, you know, Monday and Thursday, that's what we're doing there. And then Tuesday and Friday, those are our high CNS days. So that's where we warm up. We go out to the field. We're doing our speed work. Uh, then we go right into doing our, our power training. Uh, and then our, our lifting will follow that for the lower body. So um, it, it seems to be a pretty good balance. Guys seem to like it. Uh, so basically Wednesday and then Saturday, Sunday, they're off. But, you know, I encourage them to perform certain recovery routines if they have access to rollers or massage or uh, you know, just, just different types of things they can do just with their body, just, you know, body weight-based mobility exercises and things like that. So I try to encourage them to stay in motion on those days, even if they're just walking on an incline on a treadmill or just kind of doing an easy little bike ride or something, just some intervals here and there. Uh, so I, I like them to just not sit around. I like them to try to stay in motion, but they're, yeah. they're with us only four days of the week. So those are the days that we're going to try to do, uh, you know, a decent amount of volume and try to get a decent amount of, of stressors involved in those days. Um, but yeah, so it, it seems to work well where we start the week off on Monday with a low CNS day. That that sort of revs guys up a little bit because it's a lowered intensity. And then when they come in on Tuesday, they're a little bit ready to go, a little bit more ready to go. And then Wednesday they have off and then it starts to cycle over again Thursday with that low day. And then they capitalize on the week on Friday. You know, that's kind of how we try to look at it. And uh, what we do as well is, uh, uh, you know, we still follow sort of a similar concept of of, uh, of following that West Side template where we'll do a max effort, you know, a heavier lifting. What we started doing now is a push day and a pull day on our upper body day. So Monday we're emphasizing the press. So, you know, we're doing some type of bench press or, or, or whatever. And then Thursday, we're emphasizing a pull, so we're doing some type of heavy uh, horizontal or vertical pull, whether it's weighted chin-ups or weighted 
inverted rows or something, we started making uh, the back a priority in terms of trying to strengthen the back instead of just treating it as like this auxiliary muscle group. It's like, well, guys need to be strong in their back uh, just as much as they need to be able to, to press, you know, in sport because they're not powerlifters. They don't compete in bench press. They compete in sport where they need to be globally strong. So we started focusing on that. But then on the lower body days, when we're, when we're dealing with guys that are doing a more balanced program, you know, we have our dynamic quote-unquote day on Tuesday. Uh, that's where we're doing more uh, speed work when we're doing our lifting. So, you know, we're going pretty light there. So I have a tendo unit, so I, I just try to get guys to go around 1.0 meters per second uh, for speed, uh, uh, average velocity on the tendo unit. So that comes out to about, you know, 50 50 to 55 percent on their on squat or, or deadlift or something like that, and then it comes out to like 40 to 50 percent if we ever use dynamic for bench. But um, that's the day that we're using, you know, dynamic effort, whatever the lift is that we choose. It could be a sled push or resistance sprint as well uh, in place of a lift. But that's also because it's the quote unquote dynamic day. That's the day that we're going to do uh, longer distances on sprint work as well. So that's that's the day that we're going to focus more on. If we're going to pick a day to run 40-yard dashes or something like that, that's the day that we're going to do it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a globally more fast day, more of a velocity-dominant day. And then the Friday becomes more of your traditional max effort, or uh, we're going to go a little bit heavier when we're lifting. Um, we tend to keep guys between 80 85%, even when we're going heavy. So we don't really ever truly max them out anymore. Um, so... We like to keep guys around that percentage, and, and you know, we, we like I said, we have the tendo units, and we're still using the velocity as an indicator rather than the weight, and then just tracking changes over time. But that's the day that we'll probably focus more on shorter distances when we're doing sprint work, or we might use light sled resistance sprints uh, or hill sprints or something like that. So more force dominant work is done on Friday, and that's how we that's how we sort of set it up, and it seems to be working pretty well. And it's a global theme that stays on throughout the year, but again, like our, our methodology will always still kind of shift a little bit more towards um, from strength to speed and then from developing that high output to sustaining that high output. So it's just sort of a global theme that we try to stick to. You know, it's uh, again, it's ironic too, again, because the website for Skinny Bastard Template was one of the first programs I ever like properly followed as, as, a, as, a, as a young coach back in Jesus, we have eight, nine years ago now, but I kind of substitute the, the dynamic upper body day for a heavy vertical pull day. So it's kind of funny you guys have gone for that as well. And yeah. So, yeah, because I, I always like to have a heavy pull in there. So that's kind of what I've done. But I also was going to ask, and, and not because I didn't know why, but I just wanted you to touch on it, but you kind of answered the question of why did you go with an upper, lower, upper, lower, rather than going lower, upper, lower, upper. And uh, you kind of answered there. And it, I, I kind of came to the same conclusion too, that when you put that lower body day on the Monday, uh, guys are a little bit off coming off the weekend, so sometimes going with an upper body kind of potentiates them for that lower body session on the Tuesday. Is that what you kind of see as well? That that's exactly what what that's exactly why we do it that way. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just to you know get them a little bit more revved up, as I call it. Just get them get get the engine running a little bit, and then uh, let's let's put that thing into full throttle on Tuesday, and then same thing on Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice, nice stuff, nice stuff. Listen, I know you're. You're tough on time here, so we'll just wrap it up. Um, Cam, in terms of some of the biggest lessons you've learned so far in your career, what, what would you say have been the, the top and say two or three lessons you've learned so far? Uh, definitely number one is do less. You know, you're, pro- you're probably doing too much if you're a young coach that's just starting out and you're coming off of only reading books and not really being uh, too much in the trenches yet. Start doing less. Because uh, you can get a lot done as long as you as you do less, and uh, if you're able to measure what you're doing, you can definitely get away with doing less because the intent is significantly higher. So once you start giving feedback to guys, you know if you have a jump mat, you tell them how high they jump on a certain jump variation, or you have a timer, you tell them how fast they sprinted, then the intensity goes through the roof at that point, and and the uh, the intention of the drill becomes significantly higher. So um, I think that. It, a lot of guys start doing way too much. And it's something that even to this day, I've been struggling with trying to find the perfect warm-up where, where guys are, it's just enough where guys feel super fresh, but it's not too much. It's not too little. You know, it's just, you gotta, I 
minimal effective dose, as they call it. Uh, so that, that's definitely step one. And I, I think step two is kind of going along with uh, what I mentioned previously in the podcast, which is, you know, do your own research, find what makes sense to you, develop your own coaching style, develop your own management style. And then from there, just do what you do, take measurements on what you're doing, try to track what's happening, uh, and then adjust from there, you know, and, and don't listen to everybody who's who's trying to bring you down for no reason. I think it's important to learn and develop the skill of acknowledging somebody who's truly trying to help you and give you constructive criticism or constructive feedback and uh, somebody who is just there to poke fun at you, make fun of something that you're trying, and they don't offer a solution. So I, I don't, I can't respect the people out there that are, that will poke fun at something or, uh, you know, as we call it, troll something on the internet or whatever, but then they never offer a solution. So yeah, yeah. that's why, that's you know, I think it's important for for young coaches to not get frustrated with stuff like that. And it's something that we all have to go through. No matter how many times you say it, guys are still going to get frustrated about other people poking fun at what they're doing. But I think if it makes sense to you and it makes sense to your athletes and you're getting results and you can show that you're getting results and you know, hopefully their sports performance is improving on the field as well, then you don't have to listen to anybody, you know, because it's working for you. And uh, I still definitely encourage guys to go out there and try to talk to other coaches and try to learn. But, you know, go in there with the mindset that you're trying to discuss. You're trying to learn something. You're not just trying to, uh, you know, ignore what they're saying and tell them everything you're doing. I think a lot of young guys do that. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I I do this, I do that. It's like, well, why are you talking to me then if you have it all figured out? You know, like you don't have to, why do you have to ask me? You know, it sounds like you got, you got it all figured out. So, um, I think it, it, it's just it's like you said before, you know, knowing when to shut the hell up, just take a second and just open your ears more than your mouth, you know, o- open your ears, pay attention to what guys are saying. If it makes sense to you, keep it. If it doesn't make sense to you, get rid of it. It doesn't matter. You know, it's not for you. If it doesn't make sense to what you're doing, it doesn't fit your, your template, then you don't need it. But uh, try to figure out what your style is and what, what, what suits you, what suits your athletes. And then from there, just try to continue to plug and play as you continue to learn more things. Uh, I'm not saying you're not going to change what you do. Absolutely. But just, you know, develop what makes sense to you. Learn, uh, and learn on your own time and, and definitely take the time to invest in what you're doing. And understand that at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about your athletes. Yeah. So it's all about how well are they going to do? How do they feel? It doesn't matter if you have this awesome program that you drew up or that you think is awesome and the athletes are sore as hell or they're starting to deplete themselves from what you wrote up. You know, you got to pay attention to what they're doing uh, and, and educate your athletes on why you're doing certain things. That's another thing that I started doing a lot because I encourage my guys to ask questions. You know, if they're in the NFL or if they're high school, I don't care what level they are. If they have a question about something, I want them to know the answer to. I made a joke that one of my one of my NFL guys uh, I presented in Chicago not too long ago. I made a I made a joke that uh, I could have had my NFL guy go and talk for me instead because he's asked so many questions that he now knows so much about what I do that he could go do the presentation for me. So that's just a result of him asking questions and me answering his questions. You know, so uh, a lot of times they raise some good questions, too, that are hard to answer, and it makes you question what you're doing, and that's important as well. So, um, yeah, taking all those things into consideration, I think that those are some really good early starting bullet points that, that I had to learn the hard way by, uh, you know, getting upset or losing sleep over some of these things. But it, it all comes down to just finding your own identity in this field. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of, of always – always encouraging people to critically think for themselves i'm very much a proponent of self-reliance and just touching back to your athlete there in terms of you know asking you a lot of questions uh you know having to always uh or, or being questioned about why do i do is great because it, it further consolidates your knowledge on a certain area so like well why do i really do this and and then when you can kind of come to some logical rationale you're like well this is why i currently do this or this is why i feel this may work you know so Definitely helps with the consolidation of your own knowledge. Uh, finally, Cam, just real quick, what what would you say would be your top resources? And listen, and this resource could be a book, a podcast, a video, an online course, an inline course. It could be a person, a mentor. It doesn't even have to be within our profession. It could be something to do with spirituality or personal growth or business. 
What would be your top resource, everyone? Only one, number one resource. No, 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 no. As, as many as you want, put as many as you want, not one. Uh, I think for for coaches that are starting out, the the certification that Joe does, CPPS, is a really great early beginning uh, beginning certification that guys can take. I have nothing to do with it. It's just something that I've taken before, and I think it, it's a really good overview. Uh, I definitely have to give uh, Altus a shout out with the Altus 360. If you want to learn anything about, you know, just strength training, speed training, and power training, and how they all interact together, you know, from a track and field mindset, from different mindsets as well. That's a, that's a resource you got to check out for sure, the Altus 360. Yeah, I'm on, um, I'm on it too. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. It, it's, a, it's a great website. Rugby Strength Coach, 100%. It's something that uh, I think is a phenomenal resource. Uh, definitely worth doing the membership site. Uh, that's something that I'm involved in now. And, uh, you know, like I said before, Kier is, is awesome, and he makes everything so understandable. Uh, so I definitely think rugby strength coach for sure. Uh, and uh, if you're interested in all of, like, the super deep theoretical uh, stuff going on with, with agility training and, and learning motor skill acquisition and all that, you should check out Movement Mastery uh, or OptimizeMovement.com with Sean Mishka. That's another great resource from that standpoint. And then, uh, you know, for, for recovery-based stuff, I'm definitely a big fan of uh, uh, Kelly Starrett's site with Mobility Wad and also uh, the Kabuki, KabukiStrength.ms. That's another great website uh, for learning some of the some of the recovery modalities and keeping your body feeling good. So, we're Chris Duffin, that map bastard. Yep, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's another good one there. And then, uh, you know, Joe DeFranco, he's got his own membership site as well, the DeFranco Insider. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. They're currently organizing it so that it's a little bit easier to find things because they have like this endless library of videos that needs to be a little bit more organized, but it has so much good information on there. Um, that's another good one that, that I think uh, is worth checking out. So, uh, yeah, just off the top of my head, those are definitely uh, some that I go to very frequently. Great stuff, great stuff. Uh, and then real quick, uh, where can people find out more about you? Uh, well, I, I pretty much post everything that I do on my Twitter and on my Instagram. Uh, so if you go on those, my, my handle name is at Cam Josh, C-A-M-J-O-S-S-E. So that's on my Twitter and my Instagram. Great. So I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. And Cam, last thing real quick. You have dinner. You can invite five people, dead or alive. Who are you bringing? Five people. I've heard this question before with three people. So now you're putting me on the spot to name two more people. Uh, so yeah, number one, uh, some a guy that I was I was always interested in meeting for some reason because you know we, we read uh, we read Walden in, in, in middle school. So <laughs> Henry David Thoreau is, is number one. Nice, on there. nice. Uh, I think he has some insightful stuff on just how people act and when they're you know by themselves versus when they're in a massive distraction. He's a great one. Uh, definitely Leonardo da Vinci. You know, you talk about a guy that that just so brilliant with what he was able to do. He was such a Renaissance man. Um, mm-hmm. Isaac Newton, hands down. The fact that he was able to discover what he was able to discover when he was able to do it, unbelievable. Uh, and then from more of a, I guess the last two, from more of a, a physical preparation standpoint, uh, I would have loved to meet Yuri Berkushansky while he was alive um, and just pick his brain on some of the stuff uh, he's written because uh, it's, it's had a huge influence and continues to have a huge influence on, on uh, my mindset as I approach it. And uh, I think lastly, you know, these guys are all dead, but um, definitely the last one, I think Charlie Francis, has, just from a speed training standpoint, I, I would have loved to be able to sit with him and pick his brain uh, selfishly from a personal or, you know, from a physical preparation standpoint, just learn about how he was able to manage the, the, the sprinters that you worked with, so nice. I guess those are my five. That'd be pretty interesting. Uh, interesting. Have you got no no partner in your life there? No. Yeah, uh, in terms of significant other. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I've got a girlfriend, Jen Andrews, that, that she, I live with. She, I live with. So you know. Will she not be not be pretty pissed? You could have brought her to a free dinner. <laughs> well, I tell you, she's she's always the tag along, so she would be the sixth person. She doesn't yeah. count the five though. That's she's, she's always she's a definite shoe in no matter where I go. 
No brother. Uh, Cam, listen, just stay stay on for just like ten more seconds while I wrap up on a say goodbye. I know you're in a rush. So guys, Cam is gonna he's, he's got at least a train. He's a coach in the trenches. So I'm gonna wrap this up real quick. Thanks for listening. Keep sharing this out. I'll talk to you all soon, guys. Take care and stay strong. Thank you.